Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And on our last episode, uh, we spoke with uh, Indigenous leaders about the transition of Indigenous people to living in the city and uh, how uh, a life of faith uh, interacts with uh, being Indigenous in the city. Well, today we're returning to part two of that conversation with Dan Collado and Levi Sampson Beardy. And let's go to that podcast episode right now. Levi, uh, you're in, in Toronto and uh, talk a bit about uh, your experience uh, with uh, uh, the, the, the transition uh, that Indigenous people go through uh, moving into the city from uh, more rural uh, areas or reservation lands. Um, what are you um, observing about the, uh, the pros and cons? And, uh, you know, uh, how, how do we come alongside better? Okay, I'll, I'll start back to, uh, to my Red Lake days, which is when I was a teenager and my parents were there, we had come in. But when we came in, we, that was it. This was where we were going to stay, you know, south. We weren't planning to go back to the reserve. But many, many people came from all of the reserves all around the area, came to work with the mines just to raise enough money so they go back home and bring a little bit of, of that wealth back to the community. So they had one foot in Red Lake and one foot back in the community. So when they were working in, in Red Lake, they weren't thinking long-term. So they weren't looking for promotions or supervisory positions. And that's one of the things that, that hindered at that time is, is our, our um, stability, I guess it was, because they would go back home for five or six years and then come back again for another two or three years. And, and, uh, and then in the 80s, when I was in Ottawa, we ended up starting a, a, as a new Christian. I was about seven years a Christian at the time, where I was stationed there in the military. We ended up um, starting a, a church, a congregation, specifically for people that had come from isolated communities, come in, they had come into, Trump, into Ottawa. They didn't feel comfortable in the, any of the churches around, the white churches. So we, we had our native congregation. Our, our, our initial idea was just to meet once a month. And then it was twice a month. And the next thing you know, it was every weekend. And so, uh, but the clash of culture from the North coming into Ottawa was, was, was destabilizing for many of them because, because of all the, the things that they had to deal with within the city. And, and it just threw a monkey wrench and they were very capable back home. But when they tried to, those living skills, they tried to incorporate into life in the city, it just, it just, it just blew them out of the water. So we ended up ministering and, and um, in fact, uh, I got posted out and, and years later, I, I kept in touch with, with those um, families and six of those families ended up at Bible college at National Native Bible College. And I'm saying, wow, that was a high success rate for the number of people that had. We thank God for that. And then now in Toronto is another kettle of worms. <laughs> and uh, it is, it is. That's it okay, because you're a fisherman and fishermen <laughs> can use worms. 
That's right. Yes, it is. It is very hard. It is very hard. I find it very hard because because uh, I have two locations. One by the Native Canadian Center where where we preach, and we we've been there twenty years. But we've also been asked to go to a to another friendship center across town. One is in Western Ontario and one is Eastern Ontario. So I crossed the great divide. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, and, and that's on Parliament Street in Dundas, it's Council Fire. So, so I, I'm asked to, to minister there, but it's not to necessarily uh, an indigenous group, even though it's an indigenous um, uh, place, it, it's all peoples. And, and everybody within these two congregations are people that are continually moving, continually uh, moving from one situation to another and just try, trying to survive. Uh, the first place on, on, on the Western Ontario side is a community of people that are in a home <clears throat> that are for elderly, uh, elderly First Nations people, they have subsidized housing. So we, we preach in there, but they get older and uh, they end up going to uh, nursing homes and, and, uh, and then many of them pass on. So we have a pro have problem in that area, keeping a, a stable congregation. We connect to their children and grandchildren, but they're on other ends of the city. So we have a hard time really just going and getting them, uh, getting the access to them for, for the scripture and so on for, for further uh, further uh, training. But one of the things that has happened to go to be able to help with the shelters, the women's shelters, the men's shelters and and the, the uh, food banks and so on and and uh, is is I, I, I used to pick up food from from distributors and, and take them to these centers where they had people that, that needed the food and that opened the door to minister to some of the people there. But it was not never an ongoing thing. Uh, it, it's a hard situation in Toronto. Um, they're just to, to connect with, they want healing. They want deliverance because in that native Canadian center on a Sunday morning, they have what is known as birds of a feather, which is an AA group, a First Nations AA group. There'll be 200 to 250 people there that morning wanting to be set free. And I'm thinking to myself, AA, that's seeking a higher power. We have the door to the highest power. And how do we present that highest power to them? We've been able to talk to a few of them and get them to understand that they've got to they have to reach as high as they can spiritually to, to receive that true access. Yes, they're getting off alcohol, but it's a daily battle. Mm -hmm. My parents, myself, when Jesus set us free, there was no problem after that. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to battle the demon of alcohol every day for the rest of our lives. And that's what I want to get across to them. And, 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 and so, so my vision is that there will be that 250 that come in and appropriate the freedom in Christ that they that 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 they truly need, that they truly need, and 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 I guess we have I minister to all denominations, and uh, and that makes it very uh, a, a very strong balancing act 
because you have to know where everybody's coming from, you know, theologically and spiritually. And, and, and uh, one of the biggest things is all of these have never learned to tithe <laughs> or to give to the church. And so I've had to take, uh, uh, some, I have some pensions and so on, the military, Canada pension, old age security. I'm 71 in a couple of months. So, so uh, and I, I thank God I'm still healthy and, and I think mentally healthy too. But one of the other things that we have and, and how to, to be able to link this into the city is rising above abuse counseling agency of which I'm a chair. I've been a chair for several years. I've been with them about seven years and that's nationwide and, um, and headquartered just south of Winnipeg. But, but we have um, uh, missionaries in, in DC all the way to, to um, Manitoba and Ontario, Northern Ontario, Southern Ontario. But we've been asked also to go into the, into the United States uh, to connect with people there and so on. But how to be able to move to the youth. And we've started a youth task force to really figure out how can we reach these young people in the cities. We hear about, about the, the gangs in, in the cities, in, in Winnipeg. And when I left the reserve at 18, 17, I left, left my home at 17. I'd already quit school and gone to work in the mines for a couple of years, lied about my age. But at 17, I wanted to join the military and, and I was too young. So I ended up in the city of, of Winnipeg. And there was a gang element there that I was introduced to. I, I had not joined, but introduced to where, where the, the idea was they're in trouble and the only way they're going to get through it is for them to stick together. So that was the main idea, was then for them to stick together because the whole world was against them. And these were young people whose parents had come from the north. And these young people were trying to bridge that gap between what, what their parents were talking about, on the, about the reserve back home and what they were seeing around them, the reality that was around them. How do they, how do they, how do they navigate that? And the racism and discrimination that was coming from, from the people in the city. So how do they grapple with that? And so they ended up forming the gangs. And fortunately I got snatched out of there to go into the military where, where I saw racism and discrimination not necessarily against me, but against the French and the English. So all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm saying, well, it's not just about us. <laughs> it's, 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 it, and, and then they make fun of the Italians, they make fun of other racial groups. And I'm saying, this is, this is something that seems to be standard. And so, so, uh, so, so I ended up putting, putting up with that and doing very well in the military. And, um, but, but what I'd like to say is this, the same type of thing is happening in the cities right now. That was starting then. It's really cropped up horribly. And, um, and there has to be a way, there has to be a way to reach these young people. And, and, and it's so exciting to see Jim Thunder and, and how he's, He's progressed well and, and set an example for us. We did interview him for that youth at task force at Rising Above a couple of years ago. And, uh, and uh, it may, may still happen, uh, but, but we're looking for a, a youth task force leader. So that's one of the things.
but the city is a hard place and we just have to keep going at it. Of, uh, and one of the questions you will have later is this whole thing about indigenous cultural practices. And, and I've told you, I, I've, I've looked into that and uh, I've, I've worked with medicine men and some of them have, as I said, attacked me uh, spiritually and God showed me what it was. In fact, in the gathering, uh, after I went to 100 medicine or 200 medicine men gathering, there was a, a couple of people came up after the service uh, when I was talking about it and they said they'd seen black objects flying at me. And, um, and uh, I asked them, well, what does it mean? And they said they didn't know. And I, and I said, I didn't know either, but I had a sense that it might've been curses because there is that, that uh, accusation that medicine men throw curses at each other. Never mind that Christian leaders. So, so I, uh, so I said, well, go and pray about it. See what God is trying to show you. And they came back with the scripture from Proverbs twenty-six, verse two, like a darting swallow or fluttering sparrow, an undeserved curse will not find rest. So when we are in Christ doing His work, curses can fly at us and will not touch us. Somebody had said one time, will they just nick us and wound us? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, I'd, like to ha I'd like to have the full armor of God on, you know, completely so that nothing will affect my witness and my proclamation of the gospel wherever I go. And so that's, that's a big thing. And, 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 you know, sometimes you go and minister to some of the young people, you know, I'm five foot seven. Some of them are about six foot four, six <laughs> and very bulky. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know. You hope they respect their elders. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's correct. So, so sometimes it's sort of the, the first human element is fear. And then you have to say, he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world or in this guy. <laughs> so, so you go on ahead. And uh, I even had a, a dream about that a couple of days ago that I was, I was meeting three, three young men and they were all towering over me. And I, I said, oh, here I go again. And uh, and uh, and ended up and ended up succeeding in the story that they they calmed down. But I did go down Blur Street in Toronto, heading off to my congregation several years ago, and I said, "Lord, is it about time to for me to to make a new move in my ministry?" And it was Sunday morning, and I'm going down Blur Street, and that's sort of one of the right by by. Um, um, one of the wealthiest areas, high cost, people going around, beautiful clothes, summer with money and so on. And I got to a stop sign. And I said, Lord, how do, how do you want me to do my ministry? And all of a sudden, out of a back alley, three men come staggering out, native men. And they're so drunk they can hardly stand. In fact, one of them leans on the, the hood of my van. And they take he takes a break and the other two continue on and then they go on and staggering across. I'm thinking, Lord, are you saying that these are the, the, the group that you want me to minister to at this time? And, and I said, I don't know if I can even do it. I, I can't even talk to them because they wouldn't hear or remember anything that I say. 
And so, um, so I just let them go. A couple of days later, I'm going down York, York Yorkville Road. And, um, and I go by a little parquette and I see the same three men in that parquette. One of them's passed out on the bench. The other one is passed out on the, on the grass. And the other one is sitting up, leaning his back against a, a little sapling, a little tree. And I'm looking at them about, about 100 feet away. And I'm thinking that these are the same guys. And they're just as drunk now, this a couple of weeks later. And I said, Lord, what do I do? Uh, no, they won't remember a thing I say. So all I did was I took out my little bottle of oil that I had in my in my in my my pocket. I went up to the first one or, or the one that was lying on on a on the on the bench and just anointed him with oil and just prayed, prayed over him, prayed over him. Went to the other one, prayed over him, and then to the one that was leaning on the back of the sapling. He's there. He's he had a little bag of peanuts, and he was putting them in his mouth. He just barely even didn't have his eyes open, but most of it was dribbling down his chin. And I anointed him with oil, prayed over him, and I didn't think he even heard. But then, I, just as I was turning away, he said, "Miigwech, thank you, thank you," and then back to obliviousness. And, uh, and I ended up ministering to two of the three. The third one, I don't know what, what happened with him, but the one that was in the tree came to the service several times, prayed over him. And then next thing I know, he had, was six months sober. And as far as I know, he's doing good. So uh, the second one, I went up, he, his, his family called me when he was in hospital for alcoholic issues. And uh, he was there. He was in a coma, but prayed with him, and 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 so those that that air that group is the ones that that I'm really ministering to, and and the scripture I was reading again just to confirm that is is to remember the poor, to to remember the poor and minister to the poor, and so I'm still doing that. I'm and uh, and and you know there are a group of First Nations people that are in the city that have jobs, security of sorts, and well-to-do. And as I, I minister to them from a distance, they have been okay with it. They have, uh, they have been, uh, I guess, tolerant of me. <laughs> Because maybe their parents knew me and uh, and so on. And so they've been talking to me. But some of the traditionals, I went to gatherings of traditionals, drumming uh, circles every week for about three years and just sat and listened, sat and listened. I didn't try to evangelize. I didn't try to do anything. I just was a presence. And I, and I didn't realize how much of a presence because I met one of them on the street you're the guy there and describes everything. I said, what? <laughs> How did you guys know? And, and I've been beckoned to participate in the drums and I, I still have not. And, uh, but a couple of the medicine men have called me at various times, messaged me on Facebook. They're part of my Facebook group. I have 5,000, like I said, 5,000 on one and 
1,300, and I, I accept everybody, and I try to minister to them. I believe God has put them there. So, so the, the doors are opening in a way, and, and I'll tell you the truth. I believe I would rather have, and I've been under the gun for this, I'd rather have people trying to seek the creator than not to seek him. And that's where I tried to talk to PAOC, to have Jesus listed as the creator in our statement of faith, truth and statements of truth and thing. Because then we could have something we could point to that as PAOC organization, we do believe in the creator. And then compare what, what, with, with the traditional, what is your thought of the creator as opposed to what we as Christians believe is the creator and then work from there. And, uh, and we had, a, I had a situation with one, one medicine man in Vancouver Island when I was a national director for First Nations Ministries with, um, with Shantyman International. And I worked well with him. He was, he was speaking to the creator. I, if he wasn't speaking directly to Jesus, he was very close. And I just sensed it in my spirit. And I worked with him. And, and the miracles happened. And next thing you know, all along that area, 40,000 new channeled people ended up called, coming, sending their families for six weeks at a time to our, our mission station. And 50% of them went back home baptized in water, had accepted the Lord. S something broke. The Lord broke something, and, and, and I, I believe it was a miracle. And uh, even, um, even the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations came from that area. When I talked to him about that, he hugged me and said, thank you. You guys are doing a tremendous job. And it was an, an enchantment had been there for 80 years and struggling to sort of get a breakthrough. They were doing the DVBS, they were doing the Sunday schools, they were doing Bible studies, they are doing this stuff, but nothing was happening until God said, do this. And then it just broke everything completely. And, and so, so we have to wait for God to move. Or give him opportunity to move, keep putting him there and place them in front of people and, and, and let him do the work. And we just get swept into it. And then it's an, an exciting, amazing time. Levi, you you have the heart of an evangelist. You have the heart of Jesus. And I'm reminded of in the Gospels when Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well. And it ends up being a com conversation about the differences in religion. <laughs> and uh, But she says, we're supposed to worship on in this way at this mountain and you Jews, you say it has to be this way. And Jesus speaks to her heart and talks about the living water that, and he says, the day is coming when, uh, you know, all men will worship, uh, you know, in, in spirit and truth. There's this, uh, this sense in which Jesus supersedes the religious boundaries that were set by the Jews and by the Samaritans. And, and I think that 
you know, we need a, that, that move of God in, in Canada, uh, where among our First Nations, Inuit, Métis, Indigenous population, uh, that, uh, that Jesus is presented uh, far above all of the, the ways that religion has tried to trap him, tried to contain him. And, uh, and I love what you're saying about the Jesus being named as the creator. Um, that, that is part of uh, our Christian belief. Um, Dan, I got uh, maybe one, one last question, and, and uh, I'll, I'll field this question over to you. If, if somebody, uh, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, were to come and say, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, um, I, um, I feel called uh, to, to reach a, a pocket population, a, a, an exiled population in one of our cities. Uh, and uh, that was narrowed down to say, I feel called to reach Indigenous people. Um, just kind of unpack a little bit of, uh, you know, how is Mission Canada set up to, um, to get outside of uh, the, maybe the traditional lines of this is, this is, uh, well, if you're a minister, if you're a pastor, if you're uh, working in a church, but no, if a person actually feels called to, to be an evangelist, to be a missionary uh, within Canada to the Indigenous population, can you just talk a bit about that? And uh, if we get you unmuted, it'll work even better. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I um, I've so appreciated um, certainly that the heart of Mission Canada in its in its effort to recognize the the unique expression of Christ within each one of us. Um, uh, it, it, it's really, I think, at the core of, of what Mission Canada seeks to, to accomplish. I mean, aside from, you know, seeing the, or recognizing or identifying, you know, five core um, missional avenues and that, that exist in Canada, uh, of which, you know, Indigenous, uh, the Indigenous community is part of that. Um, but it's about recognizing the uniqueness of the expression of God within each one of us. Um, one of the things concerning indigenous ministry that I've always said um, is that you actually, you don't need to be indigenous to minister and, and, and be effective within indigenous ministry. Um, as, with, as with any type of ministry that deals within a certain demographic or a certain uh, ethnicity, um, it can be beneficial, it can help. Um, but you know, for me, what's even more important is authenticity. Um, a person can be extremely effective within Indigenous ministry if they're authentic, um, if there's uh, a, a desire to, um, to be. Um, Someone who's willing to, to walk the journey, um, who is willing uh, 
to to listen and to experience um, that which uh, an indigenous person um, is experiencing. Um, and I think that um, it's certainly one of the one of the strengths that, that Mission Canada is, is championing uh, that that level of engagement um, where it's it's transitioned from, okay, you have to come to us, you have to now look like this. It's now we go where the need is. Uh, I saw it in my own prayer um, as a young college graduate, uh, felt called of God to go overseas. Uh, I majored in missions and uh, I thought that's what I was going to be, a missionary. Um, and it just felt like I was spinning my wheels. Nothing was opening. Nothing was opening until I prayed the prayer that said, Lord, I'm willing to go. And it was a dangerous prayer, but I meant it. And so I said, Lord, I am willing to go wherever there is a need. And it was like, you know, within, within days, within weeks, um, God began to, to lay out things and divine appointments um, that just allowed for the authenticity that was within me to be able to be expressed in, in practical, um, practical ministry expressions, be it giving a, a cold of, uh, a, you know, a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, uh, a blanket to someone who's cold. Um, it was those practical aspects of, of Christian, um, authentic care um, that was allowed to uh, that I allowed to to just kind of happen uh, through me and, and the opportunities that Christ then opened up um, was really unbelievable um, and so I, I've always been you know an advocate of of authenticity, but within Indigenous ministry in particular, it's going to take obviously authenticity, um, and it's going to take authentic relationship. Um, we have, uh, I think, a, a habit within, say, Euro-Canadian culture uh, to be kind of, uh, to have a to use our relationships as more of exchange of commodity, um, where we can we can be quite successful and have a very surface level relationship about really getting to know each other, but we can get a lot done. Um, and so uh, we have this kind of exchange of a, of goods um, that is quite effective, and even that has you know throughout church history has crept into the church. Um, but within Indigenous ministry, it there needs to be an authentic relationship. And, and instead of it being uh, a relationship of, of exchange of commodity, it, it's, it's an exchange of journey and relationship uh, uh, or a relationship of, of my heart and your heart coming together. Um, and it takes time for that to be conveyed as authentic. Um, we're not just looking to trade this for your life for Christ, um, but it's a willingness to be invested in the lives and the journeys that people have walked and are walking. Um, and consequently, 
that authentic relationship means it's going to take time. Um, indigenous ministry doesn't happen over a weekend. It doesn't happen, you know, on a special set of, of uh, weekdays of, of meetings, um, but it's day in, day out, uh, continuing to, to be present um, so that there is an opportunity for the person to not just know what it is we're trying to sell, but they know who we are. Um, it was Teddy Roosevelt, you know, he was um, early uh, U.S. president in the 1900s, early 1900s, and he coined the phrase, he said, people don't care how much you know until people know how much you care. And within the indigenous community, um, they don't know, uh, they don't care what you know. Um, they want to know you. Once they know you, yeah. um, then they'll care what you know. Yeah, I think this is a call to every Christian in Canada to care deeply about your neighbors. Jesus said it's the essence of true religion, caring for the widows, the orphans, and I would add the exiles uh, to, to all who um, are, are disconnected uh, from uh, relationship, uh, people who do not have a seat at your table. That's, that's where we're heading. This is a call to care. Well, I wanna, I wanna thank uh, uh, you guys for uh, showing up today. And uh, Can this I is- Can I add something to the sure. last question, if you don't mind? Um, yeah, please. I had one, one situation in, a, in one city where there was one, a group of native people that had come in and set up a church and, uh, and it was a good church. And uh, so this one, one tribal group came in, but there was a different tribal group in the surrounding area. And one of our graduates from National Native Bible College had gone there from that tribal group and, and for some reason left. And, and the people that were at the church wondered, why did she leave? She's, she was a tremendous part of this. And, uh, and I ended up calling her and finding, saying, she says, even though we're both indigenous uh, groups, these that have come in have looked at my people as a mission field, as a mission field only, instead of fellow Christians, potential yeah. fellow Christians. And, and, and so that's one of the, and I think that's what Dan was saying, that we have to have that care factor, not just to be there to do our, our mission work. And that's one of the things that we try to do with our mission groups that we send out is to go there continually, keep in touch and show that we care about them. It's, and, and in fact, I, in many cases, we don't really minister to, with, with the gospel for the first few trips because we just want to know them and, and, and get to be with them and help them and find out what is needed. And so that's, yes, I, I just, I just, and that's hard to do. It's a fine mm. line. You, you can deceive yourself into saying, well, I'm caring. I, I really do love them. I do care about them. But in, in, and that's why you have to have the Lord search in your heart to make sure that yeah. you create me a pure heart, oh God. Yeah. Now, one example I want to give you too about 
is my parents. When my parents, when they started their congregations and they had amazing meetings and success, and one of the results was was uh, Jim Thunder's uncle, Lot Thunder. Lot Thunder trained under my my dad for many years as a young teenager and so on. So, so, so my parents had that thing, but I, I rebelled, I rebelled. And out of the 12 of us kids, I was the oldest and all of us rebelled. And at one point in time, my parents said to the Lord, Lord, we're going to quit our ministry and we're going to win our children back to you. But the Lord said, no, I've called you to do the work of that has been prepared for you, let me work with your children. So they placed us in God's hands. And all of us are in the kingdom now. All of us. One has passed away. Wow. He came back to the Lord. He was a little rebellious near the end, but but he came back to the Lord. And and so God took his 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 vows seriously and 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 won us back. And and uh, there's three of us that are pastors, one married to a pastor. And uh, and a couple of more elders in the churches and so on. So, so it's it's just amazing what God will do when we let Him do the work. And mm. and 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 sometimes it's almost like you care enough to leave Him in God's hands. Do you know what I'm saying? Like right now, not being able to be in Toronto with the people, the people that I care about, it's hard. But I pray for them and I say, God, you know, you said. I will never leave you nor forsake you, you know, and there's all kinds of stuff happening with this COVID that is, that is very detrimental to the mental well-being of everyone. And, 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 uh, and we do have to pray more diligently and, and, and God is the one that's at work here. So we have to let him work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. The, the, the kingdom of God is a table and uh, when you enter the kingdom of God, um, there's assigned seating. And you go and take your place at the table and you discover almost immediately that uh, you're seated with strangers and you're seated with loners. And by the time the banquet is done, the stranger is your best friend. I think that that's how we need to, to view all of the, the tribes and nations of the world, that, that God is calling us to his table where every tongue, every tribe, every nation uh, will enter into that shalom that Dan mentioned. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a good note uh, to wind out the podcast and uh, say, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Well, as you heard over the last two episodes, both of my guests, as uh, well as uh, James Thunder from the last episode, are all involved in education. Uh, such an important part uh, of uh, development in the Indigenous community in Canada. <clears throat> On our next episode, uh, we're going to uh, talk to people who are active in campus ministries uh, in uh, major cities across Canada. We're going to uh, be talking to somebody from BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec, and uh, looking at the intersection between campus ministry 
and uh, life in the cities that they are a part of. So come on back uh, for the next episode. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, uh, please hit like and subscribe. And uh, if you want to see many of our podcasts on YouTube, just search for me, Kevin Rogers. And uh, when you find my page, you'll also find episodes for Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Well, until next time, keep one ear to the sky, listening to your father, and one ear to the ground, listening to your city.